0: This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by three wonderful people Allison Cook, Super Inframan, and 36 Dingo. It is also made possible by all of my Patreons. And if you want to become a patron, www.WhereDidTheRoadGo.com.
1: Transmission Start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go. Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, Alternative Thought, and much more. We are present on the web at com. Now here is your host, Soraya.
0: Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight I am joined by Octavian of the Strange Dominions podcast. Hello, hello. Barbara Fisher of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. Hello. And Joshua Cutchin of Joshua Cutchin's A Good Author.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is the same, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and has just written a massive volume that is going to break people.
2: Uh, it might. Um, the eco- sorry ecology of souls a new mythology of death and the paranormal it is available in two print volumes or one Kindle book uh, there is also a companion book that just contains uh, the innote bibliography and three appendices um, to sort of be illustrative of some of the cases that I talk about in in the book um, and it as of recording it just went up earlier today so I'm' uh, exhausted and relieved to have almost two full years of of work behind me. It's been a long road, but this is a pretty accurate snapshot of how I reconcile the entirety of paranormal phenomena in my head right now, you know, in six months, maybe it's different, but right now that's how I feel.
0: And and we're currently recording Friday, July 8th. So some of you will hear this on the ninth. Some of you won't hear this till the following week. Or, you know, far in the future, who knows? I mean, but as far as when it comes
2: out places. Yes, either, either way, though, the book is out, so.
3: Excellent. <laughs> yes. Yes, whenever you hear it, it will be out. <laughs> um, so do you, do you
0: want to give people a little, uh, some of your thoughts on, on this? I mean, we'll obviously do a full show on the
2: book after I read it. Sure. I mean, it's something that Barbara and I uh, ran into in our Six Degrees of John Keel um interview is that it's so much that it's hard to wrap your arms around (laughs) when you talk about it. You can almost better talk about it in chunks, but I have been sort of writing this book for the past five or six years in my head. Um, I was always intrigued by that Anne Strieber quote, this has something to do with what we call death. Yeah. That's an observation that she made after receiving all the letters from experiencers after her husband, Whitley Strieber's communion came out in 1987. And, I thought that there was a way to tie all this together. Obviously there's a lot of, you know, Kenneth ring in the book in the way that he tied, uh, the alien abduction experience to shamanic initiation and the near death experience as well. But, um, uh, I wanted to explore that. And in order to do that justice, you do one of two things. You start writing about the UFO problem and you keep referencing and digressing to talk about older traditions of the soul polypsychism, you know, the idea that we have multiple souls, um, near-death experience, ley lines, or you just write a book with all that in it, and that serves as background material for the UFO discussion. So I think that was probably the lesser of two evils in this case, <laughs> uh, which is why it's it's divided into Volume 1 and Volume 2. Um, there's plenty of UFOs in Volume 1, and plenty of old soul traditions don't get discussed until Volume 2, but that's that's roughly the, 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 the breakdown of it and uh so yeah it 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 turned into the more i looked at it the a, a sort of revelatory i think way of looking at the paranormal through the lens of death and i i think it probably flirts with reductionism in that regard some um but it was astounding to me how many things could be really com- completely always you know recurrently tied back to death i mean take something as Relatively benign as, as orthotony, which was, you know, Ami Michelle's idea that UFOs traveled on uh, gr- these great circles that sort of manifested as straight lines in the yeah. landscape. Well, you unpack that concept and you're talking about ley lines and you unpack ley lines and you're talking about, you know, distances between um, these ancient monuments that were often sites where. Massive amounts of people were buried and the idea that spirits of the dead often traveled in in straight lines That's why you see traditions like, you know dream catchers and witch bottles and and labyrinths and whatnot used to capture the dead so in order to talk about that all that UFO stuff you really have to unpack a lot of these older death traditions and um, That's why we are where we are (laughs) With this giant beast of a book. Maybe maybe Barbara can (laughs) can say it with a little bit more objective uh, Perspective I suppose since she was my editor on the project
3: uh well it's it's like this as he says he could have just written a ufo book but it wouldn't have had the impact that it's going to have if it was just a ufo book and he did digressions here and there and tons of huge footnotes down at the bottom of every page to explain every concept he brings up Mm. um which is why i think that i agree with him that the two volume work makes a lot more sense um, if you're interested in any aspect of the paranormal, you'll have something in this book that you like. You, it's just, that's just how it is. The, it's all in there. It, it's all tied together and it's tied together without a lot of ridiculous um, theorizing. Uh, he brings the receipts. And uh, he doesn't—he doesn't fool around. Um, part of the reason I think he he chose me as an editor, besides my experience with editing before, not with books but with newspapers, uh, is because I've read a lot of these subjects very deeply. So he knew that if there was something that was hinky in there, I would catch it. So
2: yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was yes. absolutely a deciding factor. That. And, <laughs> You know, I, I, I couldn't think of anyone else who would just be as well-versed in, in well, all this stuff, like, you know, Fortiana and magic practice and, uh, and again, these older, basically religious traditions, you know, someone who would have that sort of broad perspective. I mean, that, that's a pretty narrow pool of, of folks, you know.
3: Yeah, I guess so. I, I mean, I, I just like to read all the things. That's,
1: <laughs> that's what it is.
3: I want to know all of the things. But it's definitely a really excellent work, and I would say my one problem with it is he he says it is a new mythology of death and the paranor- or the paranormal and death. I think it's also the paranormal death, birth, and rebirth.
2: Yes, and I think by and, nature and of life, that, yeah. Well, well, that's part of the problem with with the book, right? Is is that like oh, you want to write about death? Well, you've got to write about birth and reincarnation. And again, and these, these ideas of polypsychism and life, yeah. And I, the one thing that Barbara and I talked about is I don't get into time because it was just too much. It would be like another third book if I tried to <laughs> try to bring time into the equation. Um, but yeah, uh, I, it's, it, it quickly showed itself to be a perspective of, uh, of the paranormal and how it relates to this endless cycle, which I think at this point we all we all go through. So, so what is life and death, Josh? Two sides of the same coin. Um, you know, that's interesting because you see this sort of all this death, death ephemera associated with the, with the paranormal and you, it kind of makes a little bit more sense why the paranormal is also often so sexually obsessed hmm. because I mean, I, I know that, you know, sex is not just procreation, but it's, um, inextricably tied to it.
0: Well, it's, it's base certain,
2: level, right? Um, so that gives you some i think that, that 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 provides some additional insight as as well um but as, you know, as far as, you know, that was another goal of mine, which was like, I'm not going to reinvent the idea of what the afterlife is. I'm not going to try to fight what the idea of ghosts are. You know, there's plenty of problems with the idea of ghosts as, as dead people. But like, let's just go with those baseline assumptions just to have a way to even begin to bridge this topic. So, uh, okay, then what's life all about, Josh? If you're reading my books to try to figure out what life is all about, please look elsewhere. <laughs> no, one of the things that is a recurring refrain throughout the book that I find a lot of these things tend to do is, is that idea of dying to death, you know, um, the idea that once you have eliminated a fear of, of what I believe at this point is a very transitory uh, and very fleeting thing, not the end, like a lot of people think it is, but it, when, once you've eliminated that fear, that false fear of death, then you're allowed to focus on, uh, not only life and improving your life and the life of those around you, but also higher metaphysical um, ideals as well. So that dying to death refrain keeps on coming back. And you can see this, you know, across the psychedelic literature time and again, across the near-death literature, obviously. Um, But, you know, you can also see it in older traditions, like a lot of the mystery schools. There are strong indications that that's something that was the main takeaway of the Eleusinian mysteries was that you would go and you would realize that, oh, no, there is something bigger. And, you know, in sort of a way, I think that the study of the paranormal can be that same dying to death sort of um, catalyst. You know, it can it can show you, especially if you have firsthand experience, that. No, we don't have it all figured out, and if we don't figure have it all figured out, you as sure as heck, don't have it all figured out, you know <laughs> um, and that opens the door. i mean it's it's the sort of re the sort of reenchantment drum that I'm always beating, but I yeah. think that's a, a more um confronting way that it that it that it that it sort of manifests as well
0: and i and I think our our culture is kind of obsessed with you know the fear of death but also the fear of aging
3: yeah
2: well it's it's weird, we're obsessed with this stuff, and we seek to prevent it but we don't really like to talk about it you know sex sex death and ufos you can't talk about around
0: the, <laughs> the uh you know and i've known so much of uh i mean aging is a thing obviously you can't escape aging but uh, there's also so much of it that's that's state of mind you know and, and i see people who give up as soon as they hit like 40 and they're like well i'm old now i can't do anything
3: I don't understand that.
0: Yeah, neither do I. Um, I had a friend who was a couple years younger than me, but he was he was a good friend of my brother's who's like, my brother's like six years younger than me. And so he would always be, he was like in his late twenties and he'd be like, oh, I'm too old to do this or I'm too old to do that. And he'd say to my brother, you'll understand when you get to be my age. And one day he turns and says that to me and I'm like, that was like two years ago.
3: But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's because I grew up and I always um, respected and liked older women. Mm. Uh, mainly because in my family, the old women were the ones who said the things that needed to be said without fear. <laughs> and did the things that needed to be done without fear. Right. Um, because after a while, you just don't give a good damn what anybody thinks about you. Right. And... I have noticed that there seems to be a a point in a woman's life where she just is like, you know, I don't care. I'm just going to say this and or I'm going to do this. And in a lot of ways, I feel like women, after they do the menopause thing, which is a, a big bunch of crap, if you ask me, that that was some, some engineering went awry with all that. I'm just not even – it's terrible. But <laughs> once it's over – it almost frees you up for all of this other stuff. Hmm. And you're, you just get fearless. I have seen more little older women go straight up to, you know, these big honking guys who are acting out and, and they use the mom voice on them or the grandma voice and it, and it shuts it down. Yeah. So I I don't get fear of aging. I'm, I'm fine with turning out to be an old woman. I
2: mean, it sure as hell beats the alternative, right? I mean, dying young,
3: (laughs) Dying young,
2: yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, Um Yeah, I've I've never really understood that either. And and you know, I, as as someone who, and a big part of the book was me wrestling with this and trying to reconcile this. But as someone who is a Christian, I've I've never been afraid of death, which goes with that aging thing. But um, you know, I think the the process of working through this book really helped me with that a lot. You know, the thing that I'm afraid of isn't isn't death and isn't aging it's it's losing faculties yes you know? that's the thing that i think is is really absolutely
4: and yeah. something that i've noticed is that for a lot of people the fear of aging is more about having that time to like reflect on your life and kind of realizing all the mistakes you made mm-hmm. and so i've known people who are like i don't want to get old because i just want to die young and enjoy the ignorance of not really knowing like what you know the, uh, the good or bad that I did. I just kind of experience it. When you get old, you're like, oh wow, I've i, I I'm been alive for 90 years and these are all the mistakes I made and these are all the regrets I have. I don't want to experience that.
2: Yeah, that's that's a big part of it. And I think another big part of it is if you haven't come to grips with the fact that your life starts out as this vast array of possibilities and slowly those possibilities dwindle and narrow as you're as you're growing older, that's a very difficult thing to confront when you hit your midlife crisis. You know, the idea that, Oh no, I, I can't like, for, ex- for example, me, I'm not going to be a gymnast. Like there was a time in my life when <laughs> I could have been a gymnast. Um, but that's not going to happen now, you know? Um, and then when you realize that that extends to certain things, like, you know, even, even travel, um, in the places that you won't get to go, uh, that can be really confronting. But I think if you, If you sort of prepare yourself with that earlier and you start prioritizing things, I think that's the secret or one of the secrets to aging gracefully, I would imagine.
4: One of the things that I experienced when I, you know, if you've listened to me on where Did the Road Go or if you've listened to my show, I've talked about how when I turned 25, both turning 25 and this uh, very, very traumatic but sort of beautiful mushroom experience I had, I got very, very depressed for most of 2021. And part of that depression was kind of this feeling like, um, all right, I'm 25. I have my entire life ahead of me still, but I don't know what the right choices to make. I don't know how to live my life properly. So that way I actually like enjoy my life. I don't like it kind of goes back to what I was saying about like this feeling like being 90 years old and feeling like, oh, my God, like this thing that I did when I was 28 that I didn't realize was going to have such a big impact on my life has now ruined my life and I'm very regretful and all this stuff. So that kind of like that openness of life really kind of scared me for a while. I've come to terms with it, but it still keeps me up at night every once in a while.
0: See, from, mm-hmm. from me, even, you know, you learn more from the mistakes than your successes most of the time. So I I don't regret anything because I've learned from all of those things. And that has turned me into who I am now. And I'm sure I'll make other mistakes in the future, you know, and I'll learn from those mistakes, hopefully.
2: Well, you know, that's one of the things that I always kind of, I mean, I don't blame people for feeling this way, but I always kind of cock up an eyebrow is when people talk about the regret that they spent with a first spouse or with an ex. And I'm like, well, you saw something in them at some point and they, they served a purpose and they informed Mm -hmm. future relationships. And you know, it's, it's not, it may seem like time ill spent, but I don't really don't think it is.
3: I, I have a saying that came out of my first marriage um, with uh, my co-host Morgana's father. And it's, love's never wasted. Um, It may be if you love someone who it turns out to, you know, that they were unworthy. That love that you put out into the world will return to you, just maybe not from them. Right. And what happens in that relationship, you still build something together. You know, whether you have a child or you had good experiences early on or whatever there is still something good that came out of it and you survived it and you're wiser for the next relationship. And so you don't, you know, you don't maybe do it again and again and again.
0: And I, and I feel like by paying attention to these things, like I've, I've had short-lived relationships, or even just close friendships with people who sort of prepared me to deal with someone later on, and I don't feel like that's by chance. Like I feel like if I had just dealt with that person later on, I wouldn't have been able to because I didn't have that experience earlier. Yeah. So there, there, I, I do think there's a there's a pattern to what's going on with our lives. I don't think it's just random
2: chance. Yeah, I um, this might get a little bit too personal, but um, I was dating a girl um uh during a period that when her mother passed away and uh, I mean, you know, it's a difficult situation obviously for, for her, but it was also an odd situation for me. And there were, I think, you know, when you're confronted with something like that, you know, there are some things that I would have done differently and uh, a similar situation unfolded itself in my life um, later. Um, And uh, it, uh, it, it definitely informed me for that. And you know, I mean, my my wife's mother passed away, and I was able to. I don't want to say like, you know, been there, done that, got that T-shirt, because that's a little bit callous, right? But I I want to say that there's a certain amount of like, oh, I I know the the do's and don'ts a lot better in this situation, and you know, it yeah, was yeah. it was informative, you know,
3: it really was. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, you you don't have to. It's not always you know the first time for every experience right. you. You can learn from it and move along.
0: So what are UFOs, Joe? Uh, Josh?
2: <laughs> uh, probably probably a lot of things. You know, I've, I've always <laughs> been on record as saying that 80% are probably misidentifications. And then that, ex, that last 20% is probably psi phenomena and uh, some sort of, uh, you know, soul phenomena and unrecognized life forms and un. Uh, misunderstood weather patterns that we don't know about and maybe Mm -hmm. even a little bit of aliens, right? Um, Within the context of Ecology of Souls, um, uh, some of the things that I settle on, some of the possibilities are um, an exteriorized aspect of the witness's soul, um, the -hmm. souls of the dead, um, or perhaps a, uh, a reified reinvention of one of the most common psychopomp motifs the, uh, the the boat or the ferry to the afterlife oh, okay. um and uh, i mean that, that's an idea that that you know jung even played with in his flying saucers book slash essay um and
0: uh jung jung was- i don't think
2: hmm? I was going to say Jung was so ahead of his time, too. He, he really was. And, and he, he he addressed things that I still see in the current UAP discourse, you know, UFO Twitter and that, that sort of thing. But the people who insist on calling it UAP, right? The ones who say, well, you know, psychic phenomena can't show up on radar. And I know I said this somewhere to the road go ad nauseum, but, you know, ghosts slam doors and ghosts yeah. leave yeah. footprints. So who says that, you know, something similar can't be going on with the UFO phenomena? And even Jung addressed that issue. Like, you know, sometimes people see things and there's no radar echo. And sometimes you have radar echoes and there's nothing seen. And yeah. sometimes you have both. So it's, you know, the idea, it, it really does show you how deeply enmeshed some people, especially those of the extraterrestrial hypothesis persuasion are enmeshed in, uh, in the sort of, uh, false dualism that I think we struggle with.
0: So, uh, I know you're, you're a big fan of Patrick Harper's work. Do you think it works in well with, uh, his
2: ideas? Um, I think it's I think it's complimentary. I think I'm a little bit more literalist than than Patrick Harper is, and that's okay. to my own detriment. You know, um, you know, the, the, <laughs> my first correspondence with Patrick. Was uh, he said. Uh, I think this is even before we appeared on Where Did the Road Go because I'd, I'd reached out to him for some advice on something. He's like, "Oh, by the way, I, I really love Thieves in the Night. wasn't quite written as well as I thought it should be, but I really liked the ideas." And I was I was like hurt for about a tenth of a second, and then I'm like, "Well, this is Patrick Harper saying that, you know." <laughs> um, he, he he is so elegant, and he uh he really straddles, even in his writing, he's able to straddle this line of this and he tears down this false dichotomy that is alluded to better than anyone that I know. Um, and he sits with that ambiguity a lot better than I do. Maybe Barbara can say if it fits into (laughs) demonic reality or not.
3: Um, I think it does. I think it does. And you're right. Uh, I think, I think Harper has had a little bit more practice at sitting with the idea of it's not either or it's both. And, you know, it's not right. one thing or another or another. It's all of them at once. Yeah. And how it manifests at a given moment has to do with a bunch of different things. Like who is observing it? Are there more than one observers? Are, you know, what is what is the ground composition where they are? Is there a lot of quartz hanging around? What What is the weather phenomena that's happening? You know what is what is happening within the witness, what is happening without the witness. Yeah. So there's just so many things that affect it. I, I think I think Harper has just had a little bit more experience with this is very complicated. And he as you say, he he writes very elegantly. So he breaks it down in a way that, that most people can understand.
0: So what 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 I love about that though is that you know damn well he means what he says. Like if he likes your ideas, he likes your ideas. Like yes. he's not just blowing That's smoke true. because he had no problem telling you he thought, you know, what he thought of the writing versus the ideas.
2: That's that is that is very true. Um and you know, I I'd, I'd rather have people be upfront about that sort of thing yeah. <laughs> than tell Yeah. It. um because yeah, you, you are able to sort of, sort of separate the the wheat from the chaff in that respect. Um, and you know, uh, Patrick is somebody that had I not reached out to him with Timothy, uh, for, uh, an endorsement of where the footprints end, I probably would have reached out to him for this. Um, but, uh, I am very pleased to say that I received a wonderful, um, blurb from Jeffrey Kripal. Yeah. Um, which was really funny because I, I hadn't approached, uh, Dr. Kripel because I wasn't sure like he knew me at all and I just I, I just I thought you know he does he's he's busy he doesn't know who I am I have to you know sort of make my case and sure I had a mutual friend of ours introduce us and uh the response was oh Josh I love your books <laughs> so it was like we just sort of fanboyed at one another <laughs> for nice. a couple of emails. Um, but he, he had some things to, he had some things to say that I just, uh, I would have never dreamt in a million years that he would have said about the book. So, uh, he had some very kind things to say, Jack Hunter, um, who I think, uh, who I think is on the, on the road to being, um, a, a, a or a, uh, or a Harper, um, in a couple of decades. Um, not that he's not, you know very esteemable now, but oh, I, I feel like he's going to only get better with age. Jack Hunter, uh, also offered an endorsement and, uh, Barbara, and, uh, my good friend, uh, Alex Matsuo, uh, offered some stuff. Uh, she's a, she's a ghost hunter. So I wanted to get a ghost hunters perspective in there. So that those are the three folks who uh, had kind of things to say about the book up front.
0: Nice. Nice. Um, I don't know. Is there, is there anything else we should talk about now about the book before I actually have you on for a show?
2: um, I would be honored if you would buy it and read it folks. Um, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's, I think it, whether or not it's objectively true, I do think that there's a parsimonious holistic quality to it that I, I really am quite, um, enamored with. Uh, like I said, I, I, I I personally hope that changes in, you know, a year or so. Um, because I I don't think it's a good idea to stay rigid in any one way of thinking, but this is, this is a pretty good snapshot of how I view the phenomena now. And it's in some ways, it's the only way that I am able to make sense of some of the things that I keep stumbling across, like, you know, UFOs that turn into birds or, um, these stories that I avoided for the longest time. Like, You know, reincarnation narratives in in alien abductions or or past lives in alien abductions. Like, for the longest time, I avoided those things. Pre-birth memories in alien abductions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, you know, those stories aren't going away. Um, (laughs) And they exist and they're out there and... Uh, If I were to ignore those, I'd be guilty of the same thinking that leads cryptozoologists to say, oh, well, the Bigfoot couldn't have changed into a ball of light. So, you know, push where there's mush. That's always been my philosophy, and that was certainly my philosophy with this. Like, if I don't like something, I have to find a way to explain it. Um, Similarly, like, I I kind of have made sense of Dogman for my own personal personal viewpoint. Because, like, I hear Dogman, and I'm like, I don't even know what to do with that. Because look, I am going to go out on a limb and say that I don't think dog man is a flesh and blood cryptid and <laughs> you're never going right. to catch and kill a dog man. You're right. Just-
4: I absolutely agree.
2: Um, yep. So then that leaves you with, okay, well, what is it? Because you talk to these people, you know, and, uh, and there's something going on there, but like, you know, so you either say, Oh, it's a demon, <laughs> which as we know here on where of the road go? <laughs> is uh is over is an overused excuse or you find a way to or you find a way to make that work and the fact that i found a way to make that work within this framework of of uh soul craft basically um really sort of buffered uh, and and bolstered rather the uh the uh, the ideas that are in ecology of souls so uh pick it up if you get a chance um Volume 1 in print, Volume 2 in print, Volumes 1 and 2 together in uh, on Kindle. And there's another book that you'll see called The Ecology of Souls Companion. You do not have to buy it. Um, I included it as a physical purchase for folks who are like me, who are completionists, who want to have a physical copy of something. But it is also freely available right now as we speak at JoshuaCutcheon.com on the Ecology of Souls Companion webpage. And okay. you can download it yourself. So the idea is what that is it? It is, um, three appendices, uh, which talk about, uh, dead, dead people seen during UFO contact or alien abductions who are not known to the witnesses. Uh, the second appendix is, uh, dead friends and loved ones who are seen to, uh, UFO witnesses under the same parameters. And appendix C is UFOs seen, uh, at burial sites, cemeteries, graveyards, et cetera. So they're collections um, of accounts. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. collections of accounts, so it's those three collections of accounts, and then it's the endnotes and the uh, bibliography, which is just an alphabetical listing of all the sources. Uh, the idea behind that was that, you know, <laughs> this, this book that I just described, this supplemental book is, I think, somewhere in the order of like 300 plus pages, if memory serves. Um, so you can see how that spread across two books would be add another 150 pages on it. And then the books are big enough as it is. So the idea is that as you're reading, you know, ecology of souls, and you're like, Oh look in note 991. I want to find out what that is. You flip to the back of the book. It says, go to joshuacutchincom backslash ecology of souls companion. And you plug that in. You can download it, look at it on your computer, look at it on your phone, whatever, but you can find those in notes listed separately in that companion. So it was just a a very practical matter of, of saving space. Nice. Okay. Um, also, a very Joshua Cutchin thing to do, though, right? <laughs> like, I'm gonna have a separate, <laughs> separate book that's just references. Like, I've become, a, I've become self-parody now. But there, there is an academic precedent for that to have, like, you know, a, a, a multi-volume work and to have one book just be one entry, just be the the source material. So, so that's the way I justify it in my head. How long is each book page wise? Um, page wise, it is four hundred. I should know this off the top of my head, and I don't. Uh, page wise. No, that's okay. I'm looking it up right here right now. Um, volume 1 of Ecology of Souls is 372 pages. Uh volume 2 of Ecology of Souls is 429 pages. Um so it's a little bit longer. So yeah. so you didn't want to put that in one volume? <laughs> Well, that's, that's the other thing. is there, I'm sure people are going to say, oh, he's just trying to make more money, but the reality of it is... Um, binding, you know, would binding
3: would cost more. Binding would cost more. At that point.
2: You know, uh, the, the way that I price them, actually, according to some some book pricing formula that I've read, I actually underpriced them. Um, I know people are going to look at it and be like, really? But, like, yeah, that's... In terms of cost and shipping and everything, I kind of underpriced it a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like the binding itself, I mean, I Amazon publishing has gotten better, but I, by no stretch of the imagination, would ever trust them with finding a book that large and expect it to last yeah. um, any length of time, really.
0: I think I only have a couple books that are that long. One is the uh, three, oh, I can't remember the name of the book. The The Theory of Everything books, um, Big Toe. Oh.
3: Yeah, that
0: can't remember the name of the author uh and I the other even. one being the the forbidden archaeology book whose author I also can't think of
2: yeah and I don't I don't know either of those off the top of my head either but um well you know so so if, if I combined them into one it would have been a lot more cumbersome in a lot of ways and and literally cumbersome like Barbara I think Barbara yeah. said though you know do you want to have a a book pedestal. What's it called? A book pedestal. It's like a book a,
3: stand. Yeah, a book stand. Yeah. Nobody I mean? has those in their house. We're we're not living in a monastery with a you know all these monks copying things with their book stand and yeah we don't have any of that.
2: Well, but, and you know book stands work best in the middle of the book. Like towards the beginning and the end they get a little
3: <laughs> they yeah a little they finicky, still so, have yeah. to hold it you know <laughs> wrestle yeah.
2: with it. So that was purely the logic behind it. It wasn't. I mean if I was doing this to, to, to make money, I'd be writing about the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Right. Um, and appearing on Gaia. So, and I'm doing neither of those things. So (laughs) the labor of love really.
0: All right. Let's, let's talk about this skull that's all over the news now as far as the paranormal news goes. Uh, who knows about this guy who claims to have found the Bigfoot skull?
4: So I know Kyrie Peterson because he does that thing. I don't know if it was on Animal Planet. I just know it from YouTube where he basically goes around the world and finds the most uh, extreme stinging animals or insects. And he gets stung by them and he basically reacts like that's the entire shtick of the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's been around for a couple years. The thing that I know about him from a couple people, there's actually a, a video of someone basically doing the same thing that he did and they basically say like yeah it hurts really bad but i'm like the the uh, him writhing around the floor and screaming it's it's fully for dramatic effect it is not causing anyone else to to react this way so i think he lost some credibility with that um but yeah that's how as far as i know how most people know him is through him just getting stung by ants and bees and wasps and things like that
0: okay I didn't wow. even know, I didn't even know that I know I know of that I didn't know that was the guy, yeah. Just people mm-hmm. and, and I don't know like nothing about this seems on the level to me.
4: Mm-mm. Well, I commented on someone who was saying like you know this could be it this could be the the real thing this time and they were praising Coyote and I was explaining to them like listen he lost relevancy probably like three years ago no one is really talking about him he had his you know. 15 minutes of fame probably 2017 2018 and then once that video came out of someone else doing what he did and saying like listen he's kind of overreacting to this people lost a lot of interest in him and so i feel like this is him trying to get in on a new market basically
2: mm, coyote ugly
3: <laughs> and I, I was about to say um he doesn't exactly have the most trustworthy of names just saying
2: <laughs> that's, true. that's just, true just
3: just just saying but how,
2: um, but how George P. Hansen is that,
3: right? I, I know, yeah. I know. It it absolutely is is very. I mean, I think it's funny because well, you know Coyote does all of these strange things in in his stories, and he tries to trick everybody, and oftentimes he ends up falling on his face, and and everybody laughs at him. So, yeah, symbolically speaking, he's he's yeah. i mean it just sounds like a hoax
2: yeah yeah and and uh i mean i i have a lot of problems with you know number one a skull being preserved in that in that good of a shape without any other remains and if there were other remains why didn't you talk about those as well you know um it's obviously i don't Think it looks fossilized. I'm not an expert in such matters, but it doesn't really look like that. And then, I mean, on top of everything else, like the guy looks like Gaucho Indiana Jones, right? Like the way that he's dressed (laughs) looks perfect for a photo op, you know?
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: And who's taking the photo of him? Like, I I just.
4: I mean if you wanna get like yeah. a good snapshot of his personality, watch some of his YouTube videos because you will see just how bombastic he is and everything he does. So it I don't know, it, it kind of screams a lot of red flags for me just based on that.
3: It reminds me of the the Bigfoot that was in the freezer down in Georgia mm. back in what, two thousand nine, yeah,
4: ten like that. Eleven
3: something like that he's tried yeah.
4: multiple times that guy I can't remember his name but he, he's tried that a couple times and he's had people believe him I don't know how that keeps happening Rick
2: Dyer I believe yeah that's it yeah, yeah. Um, yeah he, he he did that again and, and he came out later and said that like it was his goal to make people believe less in Bigfoot by perpetuating hoaxes over and over again which again is a very George P. Hansen disenchantment yeah. sort of thing um, yeah but, uh, you know, I my own personal biases about the, the Bigfoot phenomena notwithstanding, um, Meldrum has weighed in, Jeff Meldrum has weighed in and says that it looks very much like a replica gorilla skull. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. I remember yeah. my
2: grandmother used to be subscribed to Smithsonian magazine, and in the back they would have uh, advertisements. <laughs> Those were the days, kids, magazines with advertisements in the back. <laughs> uh, and one of the outfits that they would have, um, because I guess there was a market for such amongst subscribers of the Smithsonian magazine, was for an outfit called Skullduggery um, that yep. would do like bone, uh, bone replicas and whatnot. And I remember very, very prominently in some of the ad material, there was a gorilla skull. <laughs> and sure enough, Jeff Meldrum's like, Probably comes from some place like, like Skullpuckery, Tuckery maybe with some modifications. But um you know, I I don't think that if there was a Bigfoot Skull and if we are dealing with a flesh and blood creature, I think its anatomy would not scream gorilla. I think it would yeah. I think it would be look a lot more hybridized than what we mm-hmm. see here.
4: I don't know if you guys watched that uh, Bob Gimlin video where he interviews the Guy who as a kid had this absolutely insane Bigfoot experience where he had a friend, a, big, a Bigfoot friend named Mike, and uh, someone shot it and his family dissected it and it had two hearts and a bunch of stuff like that. So, what is it, a yeah, Time Lord? I, I don't <laughs> Yeah. Around the Bigfoot yes. world, it was on the Strange Familiars Discord. Everyone was talking about it there. That's how I first saw it.
2: Mm. Yeah. And, and you hear these stories like, you know, um, The only the only vulnerable vulnerable place to to kill a Sasquatch is by aiming for its armpit, and that's how you get to the heart. And it's they seem to be very much part and parcel of these suite of myths. um, You know the weakness of the dragon, right? For lack of a better term, the the Death Star thing, right? Like there's one spot that you can shoot this monster and it'll die. And and similarly, like the idea of something having two hearts, again, completely unprecedented in um, mammalian biology. Um. Maybe biology in general. I'm not sure, um, but uh, but yeah, like it's just it's just again not casting aspersions on that account. Like I, I think there can that, that account can say that and still have some sort of odd folkified um, truth to it. But yeah, that's 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 wild.
0: Yeah, but there's also no evidence for it. No, it's it's right. one it's one thing to see a bigfoot and not have evidence. It's another thing to say you dissected it and you don't have any evidence that this happened.
4: According to the story, the body was buried in a uh, cornfield.
2: Aha. Uh-huh. Did you know that uh, according to a to z animals. Com, at least five stunning animals have multiple hearts? So there you go. Oh. Um, oct- octopi are among them.
0: That's not surprising. Yeah. They're, they're aliens what, that's themselves. That's what
3: I was just looking up because I couldn't remember if it was an octopus that had two hearts. It looks like are aliens yeah. anyway. So. Yeah,
0: exactly. They they're fascinating creatures because they're super intelligent. Yes. And like yes. nothing else on earth. Yep. Well, they're
3: like squids a little bit.
0: But. A little bit. They are future overlords, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> um so the the actually the post has another big red flag on it. Uh, when coyote posted on Facebook, it says, uh, leaking pics here before they are taken down and before government officials try to seize our footage.
4: Oh yes. Government Didn't officials you say that smuggled it in from somewhere. Yes. Like you put that on the post. Yep.
3: Yeah. It's from Canada, isn't
4: it? Yeah. Um, it says
0: found a large primate skull in British Columbia, filmed it, cut the footage releasing on brave wilderness this weekend. Have kept this secret for several weeks. Yes, I have the skull. It's currently in a secure location awaiting primatologist review. Absolutely unreal. We thought it was a bear skull when we found it. I can 100% guarantee it is not. The skull was found partially buried underground in, in deep back forest ravine after a massive storm in the Pacific Northwest where clearly a bunch of trees and earth were disturbed. I'm sure these pics will be taken down as will probably the video by the government or state park officials, mm-hmm. but the skull is safe. I don't know if it's what you all think it might be, but I cannot explain finding a primate skull in the Pacific Northwest without wondering, what do you believe?
3: Oh, I think there was a circus train and it crashed. <laughs> right. like, <laughs> And, and the, the, the gorilla got away and since there's so many trees in British Columbia, he just he just took to the trees and um, he he lived there and then he died tragically, and and then his skull was washed into the ravine during a storm, just like this guy says. Obviously, clearly, please so- understand I'm being sarcastic for those <laughs> who don't listen to my <laughs> podcast and don't understand that I will, you know, just. Flat out say things, and you're supposed to figure out I'm being sarcastic. So Correct. there you we
4: are. Had me, Barbara. I was like hanging on that. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a believable
2: hypothesis, Barbara, but not nearly as believable as a bunch of hillbillies getting drunk and shooting at owls. So you know.
4: Well, yeah, I know, right? The, the problem with this is that this post and this whole thing is mainly for the people who think that shows like Finding Bigfoot and Expedition Bigfoot are going to bring the evidence that they need. Like, yeah, that's who yeah, yeah. is looking at this yeah. and, and getting really excited about it.
0: Yeah. and and But he's very careful not to say that he discovered a Bigfoot skull. No. So when all of this ends up, whatever this thing ends up being – he could be like,
4: I never said it was Bigfoot. Yeah. Well, it, and, and into his it's the same thing, though. Huh? He, he also he says, says it's unreal. to Bigfoot, but he never says that that's what 411 is about.
3: He also says it's unreal. That is an exact quote to
2: yes. Coyote's credit, which is a phrase that I never thought I'd say. But to Coyote's <laughs> credit, um, he could have also f- legitimately found a discarded skull or a discarded yeah. replica skull i mean stranger things have happened yeah sure. absolutely. that's true
3: that, that is true as well he could have legit been you know crawling around and in, in the mud and and found what looked like a skull and dug it up i don't know why anybody would think it looks like a bear skull it looks nothing like a bear skull
2: no i no. what whatever it is it
0: ain't that yeah oh, i'm sure we'll find out or the story will just kind of disappear
4: my bets on that yeah
3: the government will take the footage down. Yeah, and, of course. And, and, and then will. the skull that is in a secure location will disappear.
4: Yes. Cue Tim and Josh's uh, lost evidence, you know, dis- disappearing evidence yep. chapter. Yep.
3: Yep. yep. Maybe maybe that guy named Bear and uh, the dude in the suit will drive up and take it and go <laughs> away. I still think that that's, coyote, or that's Wolf and Bear, you know. Going around out of the mythos to to disrupt the uh, the Bigfoot evidence so that people don't catch the big man.
2: Well, I I think that I think that these phenomena have built in safety methods to keep themselves Mm -hmm. relegated to the fringes of believability. And I think that, uh, you know, or, you know, an idea that I play with in the new book. You like what I did there? Um, an (laughs) idea that I put within the new book is that it's actually, you know, for the cases of men in black, it's actually an aspect of the, uh, the investigator who realizes that they're treading in dangerous territory with the UFOs and sort of project this, this warning mechanism, um, saying, you know, Hey, step back as sort of to give themselves the excuse to, to not pursue the topic any further because it might endanger them.
1: Hmm.
0: Well, I guess we'll find out, but I'm, I'm guessing like anything of this sort, it's not going to come to anything.
4: Always. No, probably YouTube, not. and he's been doing it for years. He's supposedly a dog trainer, but all of his videos are about him having a Bigfoot corpse in a freezer. And he's every week. He's just like, I got the arm here. Look how real it is, you know. And he used to have a lot of views. I don't think he does anymore. I don't remember his name. I just know that professionally speaking, he is a dog trainer, and he has a famous girlfriend. Like his girlfriend's really famous on the internet. I don't remember who she is or if it's wife, his wife. But uh, yeah, he's an interesting case. Uh, which guy is this? I don't remember his name. Oh, it's okay. something dog trainer. Okay, that's his YouTube name. Um,
0: what was I just gonna say there were a couple of things I wanted to address. One, uh, politis. Yes, in the first couple of books, definitely is leaning toward Bigfoot. After that, not so much. Um, I don't think that I think that David is looking to lean in whatever direction is going to bring in the most book sales. And that's why he doesn't exclude anything.
2: Cue, cue the Paletus fans in the comments in three. Yeah, well, two, two, one.
0: <laughs> the problem is, truth is truth. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't invalidate the work. Uh, the collection of cases is very good, um, but I, I the the leanings on it have changed throughout the, the the the, you know, as the books have come out.
2: Yeah, and I will say that I have heard enough stories from people that I trust. Uh, that this is a trend that I've 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 become aware of. So, maybe true, maybe not. But I I know that a lot of people are telling me the same story from a lot of different areas. So that's where I'll leave that. Which story is this? Um, personality motivations. Oh, I um, see. Etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
3: Oh, and that and that guy from YouTube is Peter Kane. Ah, I okay. looked him up. up. Yeah,
0: and you know we talked about like the 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 one guy. Doing repeated hoaxes. And when you take that and you look at the UAP thing, it's kind of like people don't look at history of this stuff. No. Sometimes because they're just getting into it and they're like, oh, this is really exciting. And it's like, this is, it's not new. This stuff, it just happens in on repeat constantly. And yeah, you never get yeah. anywhere with it. You're not going to get any answers.
4: Totally off topic, but that you talking about that really reminded me about how many posts I'm seeing on all different platforms about people who just watched Stranger Things and have no idea who Metallica is, and thinking like, "Oh wow, <laughs> you know, it's really cool that Stranger Things gave this new band a try." And you know, I hope oh, they make from this. That oh, that, that happens a lot.
2: <laughs> that yeah. happening again with when uh, Kanye invited paul mccartney onto one of his tracks and it's yeah, like he's yeah. closer like i'm so glad to see to see kanye reaching out to an artist like paul mccartney i hope he blows up
4: <laughs> yeah or like uh, what is it post malone doing a thing with ozzy osborne and his fans like wow this new ozzy guy i hope he gets big yeah yeah
0: <laughs> well, that's, that's because these people lose relevance and then you know, like by the time the younger generation comes along, they they're not looking back. There's so much stuff to look at currently. Yeah, and and realistically, well, Metallica haven't been relevant since the Black album. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah, in in my case, it's uh, my 15 year old has friends who are all like this. You know, listening to Running Up That Hill, and right. it's like Kate Bush is great. Oh wow, she's so cool. I wonder if she has any other music. And my my kid is like, what? <laughs> what have you never heard of her? What yeah. is and then they're like, where did you hear from her? Where did you hear of her? And she, and, they, and he's like, my parents, they listen to her all the time. It's, it's a thing. Isn't they, it did funny- the spi- they did the spiral dance to her, you know, to one of her songs and when they got married. Isn't are, it funny
2: how the internet exists and people can't be bothered to just, just <laughs> look something there, up? There, there <laughs> used to be a website. I'm not sure if it's still around. And, of course, here I am on the internet not looking it up right now, which is ir- ironic, right? <laughs> um, but it was a website where you could plug in a term. It was called Let Me Google That For You. <laughs> <And so> <laughs> oh. <laughs> you plug in the term and you send someone the link. It would have the cursor go over and It would type in the search terms and give you the search terms. <laughs> That's yeah. I remember
0: that. That's a good one. But you know, the problem too is there's so much stuff out there now. Like yeah. when I was growing up, there, you know, it's okay, like from, from radio's perspective. When I started in radio doing the last exit in ninety four, I might have gotten ten new records a week. Now it's one to two hundred. Mm-hmm. So oh my God. There is so much stuff out there. It doesn't matter what what you're looking at. It's hard to get through the new stuff, much less dig into the old stuff.
4: I was having yeah. a discussion with uh, some friends of mine, and uh, like they have kids, and I was like, you know, talking to them about how the all like, is there an alternative scene anymore like is that even a thing is there like do weird kids still exist because from what i see on the internet at least everything is weird like even the cool kids are still like w- you know calling themselves like weird and and you know alternative but we just is cool there, now that separation anymore
2: it is extremely ironic to me that i was aggressively made fun of in high school for knowing the word mandalorian And now it's one of the most pop, like it's it's like a pop culture touchstone. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Well that, that, you know, Lord of the Rings, you were a dork. If you liked that type of stuff, you, uh, if you liked computers, oh, you were, you were an absolute loser. If you liked computers or video games, if you were in high school, then you were going to kill everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, stranger things did a good, good take on that. I think. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Star Trek. If you liked Star Trek, you were the biggest nerd in the world.
4: I I make uh, my dad for liking Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) But
0: uh, yeah, the the funniest thing I saw with the Stranger Things uh, was a fake headline that says Lars Ehrlich Ehrlich, uh, sues Kid for stealing Metallica guitar solo to save the world.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I keep seeing posts, people saying like, you know, uh, that album came out two months before the events of Stranger Things. So, you know, between school and doing a D and D run, he had to learn that entire song in like two weeks. How did he do it?
2: Well, this problem has been baked into Stranger Things from the very beginning. For example, there's a poster for John Carpenter's remake of The Thing on the walls of one of the kids. And if you know right. anything about the history of that film and its box office, there is no way in heck that a kid would have that on their wall. Just right. it wouldn't yep. have happened. It became popular years later. So yep.
3: was enough- <laughs> it, it, it was a cult classic. Cult classics have to sit and simmer and stew and weirdness and obscurity before they become a thing.
0: I think they also used another song this season that had was not out when they, when they threw it on there. And I went, I'm just gonna ignore the fact that that wasn't out yet. I think it was Stranger Things. It might have been a different show,
2: but th- I mean that God. happens. Guys, did you know that lightsabers aren't
0: real? What? No, they are. <laughs> Someone made them. You take my meaning. You take my meaning. <laughs> Someone really did make a lightsaber. It's incredibly
3: dangerous. I would think so.
0: <laughs> I forget what he did, but he actually made a legit lightsaber. And I was like, wow, I don't want to be near that thing.
3: <laughs> Mm-mm. So- Not the way I am with electronic equipment. Man. <laughs> right. You don't want that going wrong. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> Cut off your own arm. <laughs> so uh, the other thing that we were talking about earlier was uh, the idea of magic what people call themselves when they practice magic and also the the idea of right and left hand path um and to me right and left hand path i've always taken sort of the the tantric sort of idea that left hand path is indulgence it's not bad mm-hmm. and right hand path is abstinence so like like for people practicing tantra if their right hand path they do not uh they don't have that sexual release. They, they build the sexual energy and then they stop and they retain it. Whereas a left-hand path practitioner can use that energy. can have a partner or whatever to utilize what we consider more like sex magic. Right. And it's, it's abstinence versus indulgence, like living your life and embracing, you know, the thing, the, the pleasures and the things around you or abstaining from them to attempt to to find a higher, uh, a higher meaning that way. And I don't think either one's a right or wrong path. I think it's just, it's just the attitude you take toward things and what works for you. I don't, you know, a lot of people associate it with, well, left-hand path is evil, but no, it's just not abstinence.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of those people who will basically say that magic is a method. It is a tool. It is a system by which you change physical or spiritual or emotional reality, uh, through a conscious act of your own. And you can use, you can do it directly by concentration. So you don't need any, you know, goo or, right. Or crystals or whatever, or you can use something like a crystal to focus yourself if you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, it is neither black nor white. Right. I, I I don't like those terms because they're inherently racist, mm. um, which does sound kind of, you know, stupid if you think about it. But if you also think about how the entire idea of racism was meant to show that black was not human, white was human, it is kind of mm. racist. So... Um,
0: I I always assume that black was just, you know, like the same as night, you know, night is scary. You know, the light of day is dangerous Yeah, because you don't know what's there. Light of day is comforting and good.
3: Yes.
4: Yes. the Egyptians, their thing was like Anubis is black. Right. But the reason why is because that was the color of the soil. And so it was very fertile and that was like a very prosperous thing.
3: Mm hmm. Yeah, so I don't I don't use the term black or white to describe magic. I basically say it is what you make of it. Yeah. And what your intention is and how you focus your intention and what the outcome is determines what someone would call it good or bad.
0: I, I if I remember right, Crowley defined it as white magic was anything that Helped you achieve conversation with your holy guardian angel, with your higher self, and black magic was anything that affected the material world and was not set to the goal of communication with your your holy guardian angel.
3: So one had to do with spiritual reality, and the other had to do with, with physical reality. Yeah. Material reality. That's not a. Ba- that's a a fairly good description i can see
4: that yeah i always like that i realize that my perspective is not the current one or the more popular one but the the kind of magic that i have a big interest in and how i kind of came up in this is like traditional grimoire magic and spirit magic and that basically it, it's always been amoral it, it has no it's kind of like you know with ceremonial magic you have to use the names of god to bind a chthonic spirit to get it to do what you want If you, you know, you also have to pray, you have to fast, you have to stay abstinent for nine days to two weeks. And so that can all look like a very holy thing. One of the things that most traditional magicians will tell you is that it has very little to do with that, and it's a very practical reason, which is that spirits, for some reason, they don't have good eyesight, but they have very good hearing, and they have very good sense of smell, and they do not like the smell of meat, they do not like the smell of sex, they don't really like the smell of humans in general, so that's also why you have to bathe rigorously for that entire period of time. And so, when you are doing all this, and you're praying, and you're using the names of God to contact these spirits… If you do something like, you know, ask the spirit who know, who specializes in murder to kill somebody, the next time you do it, it's not like a massive hand will come down and smack you and say like, no, you did something bad, you're not allowed to do that again. It has nothing to do with that. It it's 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 just a tool. It's like a technology and you can use it to whatever you want. And so to me, that's why I've never really seen much of a distinction like that just the terms left and right hand path never really made much of an impact on me.
0: So when, when you're talking about all that stuff, abstinence and, and so on and so forth, all of that is also helping you um, focus your mind. It's helping you- yeah, it's like an act of meditation. Right. It, it, it's saving energy up. It's, it's building up. It's, so it's not, I don't even know, I, I, I'm not sure I would think that spirits give a damn what we smell like, honestly. Um, no. I would think that it's more like that practice, re- regardless of why someone's doing it, Will help them focus in the magical ritual.
4: One of my uh, my mentors, Luke, who's also my co-host, uh, one of, a, a UPG that he has is he was contacting a spirit, and I think he had used deodorant, and the spirit was very very angry with him when it came up, and Luke was very confused, like what I've done everything I'm supposed to do to contact you, and they're like plastic, we don't like plastic. It's an I it, it, because it comes from the soil, like the bone or like the soil under the earth or something like that, it's an icon of death. And for them, it's very offensive. And so he, from that day on, he never used, uh, he just never put on deodorant while he was preparing for his ritual. And I always thought that was really interesting. Josh, is there anything in your book about this?
3: No, Uh,
2: I think I missed that. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. No no deodorant is in the book. And, and I find that amusing because if they don't like the smell of humans, then deodorant, it's a thing. I always assumed it was a purification. It was a symbolic and actual purification of the flesh and the spirit at the same time.
4: It definitely is. But I, I mean, a lot of people have talked about how when they, you know, the ancient Egyptians did the same thing. When you were to go to a temple, you could not eat fish for a period of time because for whatever reason, this stuff is offensive to to whatever you're trying to contact. I don't, I mean, I, you know, and I say this all as an armchair. You know, I have not done a, uh, a ceremonial rite, you know, ever. Uh, I mean, I plan on doing it, but it takes a long time to get everything together, to get the planetary hours right and to the the uh, the purifications and stuff like that. It takes a long time. So I am planning on doing it, but a lot of what I, it's just a f- from stuff I've read, basically.
3: It's also meant to make it not easy to do magic. Right. Yeah. So, Yahoos don't do it because, you <laughs> yeah, know, you so don't want everybody doing that
4: place to keep certain, you know, like just yeah. people who don't know what they're doing. Yeah. You know, I think everyone
0: does magic to a degree. They just don't always realize it.
3: I would say that's correct.
0: I mean, we're always affecting our reality in, in psychic ways and stuff. We just don't acknowledge that. Yes. Because clearly, yes. none of that stuff is real.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> um,
0: and what about what about names? I, I, I know all of you were throwing around different, you know, shaman, magician, etc. I've never really thought that much about it. Um, like, I'll have people, you know, ask me if I'm psychic, and I'm like, oh, I mean, we're all psychic, technically. Again, it's a matter of acknowledging and understanding what you're dealing with, but like that term has become so loaded nowadays, yes, and yes. I, I think most of these terms have become some so loaded. I mean, you know, lots of people will call themselves shamans now, you know, hey, come come on the shamanic retreat with me and pay me you know seven thousand dollars, and I'll enlighten you over the next week.
3: Yeah, yeah. Shaman has gotten to be kind of an overused word. But the, the main reason that we do use it in a general term, I would say, has to do with the use of it by Marcia Eliot in their writings about um, the practice of shamanism. And so it has become a generalized term for animist practitioners who speak to spirits in the underworld and the overworld for the benefit of their community. That's a very general, basic definition.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, it, and it is useful for anthropologists. It does help. But if you're talking about a specific people, um, and if you're talking about the practices of a specific group of people, then it, it's better to use the term that they use for that practitioner. The problem yeah. in the West, I think though, is we don't have very many of our shamanic practitioners running about. We kind of killed that yeah. thread of our civilization off uh, with the rise of the church. So we kind of we kind of lost the plot there. And so when you have people trying to recreate, or who are doing the, the same things that a shaman would do in a, a tribal culture, well, then what do you call yourself? We don't have the words anymore.
4: The way that I've always kind of thought about it is shamanism, if you look at like terms like invocation or evocation, right? Invocation is the um, calling of something into into something, either it's yourself or a crystal ball or something like that. Evocation is the process of calling something up before you outside of yourself shamanism to me i always felt like that was a journey inside you're you know you're speaking to the spirits in not in your mind but like you know there's nothing coming up to you from a physical point of view it's all um like inner and so magician is more about the outer it, it's it's affecting your outer reality whereas shamanism is more affecting your inner reality
3: uh, it depends that's a general that's a reasonable generalization um but there are shamanic practices that are more outward that do involve calling up a spirit from another realm into the physical realm usually for a brief time so you know that's a that's a that's a both and not an either or josh keeps
0: wanting to say something
3: yes josh please
2: I was just going to say that, you know, I mean, the the term Eliad popularized the term. I think it first made its way into the West in like the late 17th century. Um, But yeah, shaman, technically when you say shaman, you're supposed to be talking about a Siberian tradition, probably a Tungusic tradition. Um, But it's just this, this issue with language, Um, you know, so, so my rule of thumb, and I sort of talk about this in, in the new book as well. Um, is that if you're talking about a specific, um, a specific people's try to use their term, I don't think I did a great job of that in the new book, but if you're talking more broadly about these traditions, like you have to use some sort of term. So that's when you roll out shaman kind of sort of like what I do with Bigfoot, like you can talk about Bigfoot all day long, but. If you're talking about certain tribes it's probably best to use their term for what they how they conceptualize the wild man because there are going to be some differences there um but you start to see these <clears throat> these traditions they, they they overlap and delight in certain ways that you can kind of broaden that umbrella term to sort of mean witch and cunning man and even, you know, saint or yogini or, you know, any of these other different terms. Um, and uh, I think that it's just, it's, it's useful to describe anyone who contacts the spirit world during an altered state of consciousness. Like that's kind of, for me, what the broadest meaning of that term is. And then, you know, it, you can sort of go on a case-by-case basis from there. It's it's imperfect and it's not accurate for a lot of the traditions that we use to describe it, but that's kind of the, the broadest Strokes that I I tend to use when I use that term.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've just there's so many there's so many interesting terms like psychonauts. Always been a, f- a fascinating term, but it's generally more associated with like using uh, drugs to get to that point. Uh, and I I've always liked that because it's you know exploring your own you know consciousness. And I always liked that term, but again, you know, you it immediately gets associated with. Um, using hallucinogens and and other type of drugs, which isn't always the case, I don't think.
3: No, you can you can you can do psychonauting without an entheogen, although it's easier with the entheogen or um, more properly called psychonauting when you're using entheogens. But you know, people look down on uh, people who change their consciousness with hallucinogens, but I I don't really know why, uh, because that is also a part of magical tradition in tribal societies and in our Western European tradition as well. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a lot of people will not call themselves psychonauts around certain other groups of people because they will be looked down upon.
0: If I remember right, in Ramis's, uh magician's dictionary, they talk about the use of psychedelics for uh, expanding consciousness. And they looked down on it because they said it's like blowing the doors of uh, perception open rather than, than opening them slowly with control.
3: Well, it's, yeah, it's, but that's it's, the point.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's alchemy, right? It's it's the dry way versus the wet way, the, the fast, dangerous way versus the slow, methodical way, which is, you know, it's meditation versus five dried grams in silent darkness.
0: Right. Right. And the meditation is definitely going to take you a lot, lot longer. Right. Mm -hmm. It may never get you to that same place because you're you're also interacting with the plant.
2: But as, as as, uh, there's, I just got to say this and I'm sure a lot of people have heard it before, but I'll, I'll reiterate it. There's this story that Terrence McKenna tells about this, uh, this Buddhist monk who's practicing this, this city of, of levitation so that, uh, and he, you know, he, he succeeds. He over years and years, he practices so that he can actually levitate over the river. And one day, he meets the Buddha, and he says, "Oh, Buddha, I've, 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 I've levitated over the river. It's miraculous. I studied and studied, and I was able to, to get this miraculous power." And the, the Buddha says, "Yeah, but the ferry only costs a nickel." <laughs> <laughs>
4: Josh, I have to say that my uh, my roommates are very angry with you because about a year, uh, like, the, like from 2018 to 2021, when I found McKenna, I was on a huge McKenna kick, and that's all I watched. And so I kind of put that down after my uh, most recent mushroom experience, which was you know a year ago, and it was pretty traumatic and all that stuff. But seeing him on the cover and hearing you talk about him again, it started me listening to his videos again. And my girlfriend absolutely hates his voice. (laughs) Oh,
1: I
2: love this. Oh, really? Oh, I do too. Um, yeah, I I generally make it a rule. There are two things that I try to get around to doing once a year. And that is, um, watch the, uh, the fairy faith documentary. That's out there on YouTube. We, we we did a show on that. We did many, many moons ago. Yeah. Um, and then also to, uh, to just sort of go on like a month of just listening to Terrence McKenna lectures. Um, cause I, I always, I always find something new depending on where I'm, where I'm at with my thinking.
0: Sure. I mean, yeah. Anytime you're, you're listening to someone like that or, or reading something like that, it's going to take on a whole new, new way of, uh, presenting to you as your opinions change as your, your view of things changes. That's how Josh, you know, that's how you know the stuff has
2: value.
4: Josh, have you ever listened to Terrence and then immediately after listened to his brother? Yeah, it's
2: it's pretty trippy. It's it really is. The the, the thing that I've probably brought this up before too, so forgive me folks, but I am convinced that somewhere someone decided that the voice of I think it's Roger the Alien from American Dad was gonna be based on Terrence McKenna. Like <laughs> I think it would be so, so appropriate.
0: I think you've mentioned that before. Or someone has.
2: I, pro- I probably have. So hmm. uh, forgive me.
0: No, well, it's okay. I forgive you, Josh. It's okay.
4: I'm trying to. F- I've been combing through some of his lectures to find a good soundbite to play before our interview, Josh, to like as like a, a beginning intro to the uh, interview.
2: Uh, there's a really great. I'm not sure if they have the audio archives up as well, but there's a there's a really great website called ask terrence mckenna or ask tmk i believe um that has i know they have transcripts of of a lot of his his lectures i don't know if they have the the audio and video up as well um there there's another there's a youtube uh
4: yeah there's a that youtube channel has like a bunch of them on there yeah yeah uh
0: robert Robert anton wilson's kind of like that too you know, you re-listen to some of the stuff he said, and you just realize how right he was about so much stuff.
3: I met him once. Did you? It's really funny. I didn't know who I was talking with. I mean, I knew who he was, but I didn't recognize him. Mm. And he was in a hot tub at a uh, at a uh, pagan festival, and I wanted in the hot tub. And so the person next to him left, and I, I climbed in. So we're sitting there, and we're talking. And, um he he rolled a a blunt and started passing it and so i'm sitting here smoking in a hot tub without clothes next to robert anton wilson and we're talking deep philosophy <laughs> and weird stuff and all of these things are happening and it's really cool and i asked him his name and he said it was bob and i said hey i'm barbara and so hey bob hi barbara and you know i knew a few of the people in there and they're like hey how's it going and so we were talking, and we had a great time. And then uh, one of my friends who had come to the festival, this was his first one, um, who was a big Robert Anton Wilson fan, uh, he comes up to the hot tub, and he's looking, and he's staring at me with his eyes bugging out and his mouth hanging open. I mean, he, and, and I loved him, but he did do that just sort of naturally anyway, so I was kind of like, what's wrong with you? and he was like uh i was just i was like oh i can get out i've been in here long enough i'm i'm probably gonna you know boil my insides i'll sit you can come sit next to my friend bob <laughs> and he's just like oh my god oh my god oh my god did he and so he sits down <laughs> and i wander off you know i i had no idea Wrap myself up in my my sarong and wander away, and uh a couple hours later he showed up and he was like, "Bob, huh?" I said, yeah isn't he a nice guy?" He's like, "You don't even know, do you?" <laughs> I was like, "No, I know what." And he was like, "That was Robert Anton Wilson," and I went, "Oh, oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was That's shocked. amazing. <laughs> I was just like, "Really?" And then every time I talk to him, you know, at the rest of the rest of the festival, he's like, it's Barb. Hi, I'm Lee like, hey, Bob, <laughs> how's it going? Too,
0: too bad you that didn't was, have a podcast back then. You could have had him on.
3: I, I know, right? This was way back in the 90s. I don't think we even knew what a podcast nah, was. No, they
4: didn't exist yet. I have a, a similar story. Um, back in 2016 or 2017, UFOCon came to Baltimore and my grandfather, while he is an absolute skeptic about everything, like not he's not like a debunker, but he's very skeptical. Um, he agreed to go with me, and so we went and we had a great time. But at one point, we were in the convention center where everyone was set up, and uh, I went to the bathroom. And I come back out. I'm, like, looking for my grandfather, and he comes up to me. He's like, there's a guy over there, and he's an absolute quack. I don't know what's wrong with him or how they let him in here, but he's talking about getting abducted by UFOs, and his friends were framed for murder. And I look over. He must have had a conversation with Travis Walton. Mm. Oh. No clue who he was. Oh. No clue his story. (laughs) And he's just saying, yeah, this dude's totally insane.
0: Well, you weren't naked in a hot tub with him, though. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Well,
3: I don't. You know, maybe he wouldn't want to be naked in a hot tub with Travis <laughs> I mean, maybe not. Uh, that was when I was younger, too. So, you know, I, I actually looked pretty decent. And he was a gentleman, too. He he did not stare too much at any portion of me that was floating in weird ways, <laughs> as it happens in hot tubs. So he was really, really nice.
0: Cool. Well, with that, uh, I think we're just about out of time. Can, can you three stick around and do a
3: Patreon segment? sure
0: yeah.
2: i probably should not
0: i figured as much josh sorry
3: you probably right. are exhausted and you have babies to to tend
2: it has been a very big day and big week for, <laughs> for Yeah. So, but, uh,
0: so so let's 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 let uh, everyone here promote uh josh people can find I you have- and what what should they what should they buy
2: Yeah, uh, Ecology of Souls, a new mythology of uh, Death and the Paranormal. And uh, you can find information about that at JoshuaCutchin.com. J-O-S-H-U-A C-U-T-C-H-I-N.com. A a couple of quite a few uh, appearances coming up August 5th through 7th. I will be in Cape Girardeau, Missouri at the Midwest conference on the unknown. Um, really, really looking forward to it. It's a great lineup, including Micah Hanks, Ryan Sprague, Ken Gerhardt, Steve Ward, uh, Zach Bales, Courtney block, Margie K, Michael Huntington, and Joel Rhodes. So it's just, I'm just looking forward to, <laughs> to meeting all these people. The ones that I haven't met before. Um, then the following weekend, I will be at the Worldwide Metaphysical Tribe annual meeting in Franklin Grove, Illinois, August 11th through 14th. And then the uh, first weekend of September, I guess that's Labor Day, right? I think so. Uh, se- September first through September fifth, I will be at Dragon Con here in Atlanta. Oh, nice! Uh, so, I've got a lot of things coming up. Check it all out. I've got links to those as well at my website if you want to take a look at that. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on this. It's it's been it's been fun to catch up.
0: Good, and hopefully you'll be on more now that your book is done.
2: I think so. I all think right. so. It feels like a giant weight has been lifted from my shoulders. So, yeah.
4: And Octavian, where can people find you? StrangeDominionsPodcast.com. I'm on YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everything. Okay. And Barbara?
3: Six degrees of John Uh It's just the number six. Everything else is spelled out. And you can find the podcast Six Degrees of John Keel on all of the podcast platforms. And my latest uh, episode, this week's episode, is with Josh, and we talk all about his book. And I have listened to it recently, Josh, because I had to edit it, and we did actually (laughs) make it sound good, even though the two of us were like, well, what? (laughs) what are yeah. we going to talk about? It's too many things. I
4: thought that yeah. was great. Very cohesive, honestly, yeah, yeah. Oh, great. That's good to hear. Jo- jo-
0: Josh, be prepared to do at least two parts on this show.
2: Yeah, I, well we did two parts on Thieves in the night. So I think we got yeah, do like four. That's so I' fine. I'll block off. i'll I'll rest. I'll rest that day and I'll block off like six hours,
1: rest, <laughs> hours through. All
0: right. Thank you all.
2: Thank you. yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you. I want to take a moment here to thank all of my Patreons. Without you, this show wouldn't be possible. And I especially want to shout out to those pledging $10 or more. Allison Cook, Super Informans, 36 Dingo, Chuck Shudders, Leanne Sherry, CJ, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Christine a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gayaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Mains, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, Christopher Ernst, Craig Cicernos, Craig Parmenter, Crystal Ann Compton, Diane B., Edu Camahort, MTK, K., Eric Citron, Eric Todd, J. Otto Bullet. James Lattimore, Johanna Rojas, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L, Laser Printer Jam, Linz Jackson K, Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Patricia W, Paul Jeffries, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Stone Wilderness, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Stephen D, and Amber Hall. Thank you all so very, very much. There is a lengthy Patreon extra segment with Octavian and Barbara, where we get into all kinds of stuff. So, if you're a patron, you'll be getting that later in the week. If you want to become a patron, or contact us, or anything, find all our social media and shows all the way back to the beginning at where the com. Also, as a note, patrons get the show one week early. All right. We're going to take you out with a track from Mothers of Jupiter. This is a band local to my area, the upstate New York area. I forget exactly where they're out of, maybe Binghamton. And we're going to hear a track entitled Hush off their new record. So if you like them, look them up, and I will see you next time.